Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to talk about flying cars. That's right, flying cars. We sit down with Tasuku Nakai, co founder of Tetra Aviation, and we talk about what it takes to bring a new aircraft, especially a new personal aircraft to market. And it's not easy. The Tetra aircraft is an electric vertical takeoff and landing, or VTOL, aircraft, which they believe will form the backbone of a new aerial inner city transport system. You know, I have a real soft spot for these kind of startups. I have a private pilot's license, and I, I love the idea that the age of affordable personal aircraft might almost be here. But as I mentioned, it's hard. And as Tosku explains, these kind of companies don't fit the traditional VC model for a number of reasons. We also talk about the possible business models open to aircraft startups, the release of Tetra's new prototype, and the crazy world of experimental aircraft pilots who fly newly designed aircraft as a hobby. But you know, Tosku tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. So I'm sitting here with Tosku Nakai of Tetra Aviation, uh, who makes personal electric aircraft. So thanks for sitting down with me. Thanks for inviting me, Tim. And uh, this is a really great moment to introduce myself and introduce my business. No, the pleasure is all mine. I, I think what you guys are doing is really interesting. And I, I've had a passion for like aerospace startups for a long time. So actually, I mean... You can probably explain what Tetra Aviation is and what the product is better than I can. So basically, what are you building? We are building personal electrical VTOL aircraft. So vertical takeoff and landing. So wherever you want it to come, just simply ride on it and fly to the air and arrive on your destination exactly. And, and we'll talk about the history later, but I mean, th this is kind of like the flying cars that, that startups have been teasing us about for since the 1950s. But what you've built, is it considered an airplane or a, a helicopter or a drone or how, how is it classified? Well, really difficult question about that. There's no category anymore. There's a lot of class, almost 50 or 60 of classification. But basically, you think it's similar for a helicopter and the drones, two combines of the helicopter and drones. So, I mean, the people can ride on it and also that it has a distributed propulsion system as a drone has. Actually, just today, you guys released this really cool video of the, of the prototype. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah, and I'll, we'll put a link of that up on the site because it's, it's really cool. But I've noticed like the prototype, the video you released still has unmanned piloting. Yeah. Are, are you still doing unmanned or have, have people been able to ride it and fly it yet? Oh, yes. Uh, we still doing uh, unmanned flight for this model. And we're building up a manned flight aircraft for next model. 
Okay. Well, actually, let's back up a bit. Um, developing a new aircraft is a lot more complex than, you know, developing a new um, HR system or developing <laughs> new business SaaS. Yeah, that's right. So wh- what is the process? I mean, where are you in development? You, you've won several awards already for the work, but where are you now and what steps do you have to take until we have like um, people able to ride these? What we have to do is uh, make a culture or uh, some custom about the riding on those kinds of aircraft, eVTOL, for our next uh, transportation network. But first, what we have to do is building an actual product that people can actually onboard. To do that, we mitigate the risk of people's fear about the riding on it or fly over your head or uh, so that uh, we have to build some trust about making flying things in the market. So what we do is, first of all, uh, there's no injury is the most important part. So we, starting from the M-man flight, basically, and also the development is continued to uh, no person on board. So with that credit, we can put on some test pilots on our aircraft who are willing to collaborate with this experiment uh, not a special test pilot, but they are willing to collaborate with our aircraft in more general way. So we are focusing on experimental aircraft market. In terms of like the time frame, you guys started Tetra Aviation three years ago? About two years ago, two years and two months, I mean, three months. Oh, okay. So, so it took like a little over two years to get from concept design to an experimental aircraft. From this stage, how long will, will it take before we can get, um, like you're saying, people piling it as, as an experimental aircraft? Is that happening next month or is that a year away? Oh, we are planning to introduce our aircraft next year, showing off an experimental market, get interest from those pilots so we're planning to put our aircraft into the exhibition at the Oshkosh Air Venture next year. And there's lots of people who have a similar spirit of ourselves and the aviator and the airman out there. So I have to uh, introduce myself and introduce our product and uh, introduce the vision of what our aircraft does. And the some, someone said yes, someone says no about the, our product, but the, those critics helps, I think. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's a much slower process, but it's basically the same user feedback process that all startups go through. Yeah. Um, but one thing that, that's surprising to me, so taking a little over two years to go from concept to prototype, and then another, let, let's call it a year from a prototype to beta users, the, the experimental users. That's not that long of a product cycle. That, that's, that's pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And yet innovation in aircraft seems to happen very, very slowly. Mm-hmm. We talked before about flying cars and, and how like startups have been teasing us about flying cars for the last 70 years. Why is it so difficult to innovate in aerospace or, or in aircraft in particular? I think it's very 
difficult to think things integrated into one piece, which is flying. Also, there's lots of restriction about the get certified to say this is a safe uh, other product, even the mobility, for example, e-bikes or uh, electric car is a bit different from those weight restrictions of safety restrictions, much more harder than those products. So there's two things in there you mentioned, and I'm curious because you've mentioned like the, the real technical challenges of all of the pieces that have to work together mm-hmm. and kind of the regulatory challenges. Mm-hmm. So, so actually, when, when we think of like satellites and aerospace startups, there's a lot of innovation going on in, in satellites, a lot of startups doing that. But, but you would think that aircraft would be simpler to make than spacecraft, Mm-hmm. Is that the case, or is aircraft actually more difficult? This is a very diff- difficult question about that. I think that satellites have some, there's lots of method out there. Recently, even the university, there's a CANSAT, which is a, a sophisticated and a structured product when the university student can learn about the, how to develop those kinds of things into the real product. And also that there is a that's know-how all, uh, connected to the actual product in uh, this commercial market, in satellite market. But the, there's lots of people involved in the aircraft is not connected to the prototype in the university, I think. And also that there's not connected to the actual product in the general aviation market in, because there's a lot of big company are building their product, but uh, there's no experimental things that the people or young men or other can learn about wall aircraft things more easily. So it's just harder to get started with it. Yes, yes. This is, there's very few opportunities to get started with making a new aircraft. But the experiment aircraft culture has a can learn to follow those and learn about the new things, but that's not so much has a market. For now, that's a trend from the four that the drones and the e-vitals are more closely connected to the internet, involved uh, lots of people. So recently, this is more friendly and more there's more chance to connect to the commercials. That will allow people to get into it. So there's a lots of startups that are recently building e-vitals. Oh, so I hadn't really thought about it. So it's not, it's not necessarily the, the technical challenge. It's just that the ecosystem... Yep. for satellites in aerospace is much better developed than the ecosystem for aircraft. I believe so. Now, we, we were talking about the experimental aircraft market, the, the pilots who, who fly experimental aircraft. How, how big is that worldwide? That market is basically based on United States only. They're very, very different from the other market. Especially in Japan, there's no no market about experimental aircraft uh, like uh, Oshkosh events out there. Uh, well, there's a few, but uh, I think that, that many people are already, they has owned their experimental aircraft, but they selling their aircraft because uh, the restrictions in Japan is not so friendly for building aircraft compared with the United States. So so the purpose of the the experimental market really is just to to get people using it, to get feedback, to to move to the next stage of production. Yes, I think that those cultures are more friendly to building and ride on an aircraft. So 
looking into the future, um, when we have, and I've got to say that the video is awesome just to watch. It's really cool. So when we have these personal aircraft, how does that work in practice? I mean, I, I've got a private pilot's license and it's hard. It takes a lot of time and a lot of study to, and a lot of practice to, to learn how to operate this. Would, would the people operating these still need to have pilot's licenses or would something change? Was there like software guidance or something? Uh, our final goal is full autonomous flight, so which is uh, there's no reason to have a license because a, a computer can uh, solve those problems at all. But I think that some part um, at the initial is necessary to have a human controls or a human can communicate with the radio thin- center. So at the beginning, there's an, some necessary to have a license. The, well. For example, that car has uh, manual transmissions and automatic transmission out there, which is that the machine can help people's behavior in some aspect. And this is uh, always happening in every uh, machines. Uh, for example, even the ships has a uh, lot of sensors and control systems for a uh, captain. They no longer have to uh, control by themselves, always controlled by the digital systems, which is included in the aircraft already. So machine and the software and AI can help people to control. I mean, so the license is much more easier than today, I think. That, that makes sense. And I guess we'd have to do that for any kind of mass adoption. But actually, a number of people have told me that AI piloted flight is it actually a much simpler problem than AI driven cars. Hmm. I think that's uh, in the air, there's no... Uh, Nothing out there. Yeah, yeah. There's not like children running out into the street and there's not strange, unpredictable things happening. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. There's no uh, obstructions uh, to fly. So much easier. And and is that something that Tetra Aviation is also working on? The AI-powered flight? Or is that something that other companies are working on that you'll adopt later? Yes, our company doing a full autonomous flight research now, but that's not making some kind of best way. We are creating just a at least way to fly to full autonomous because there's no uh, certification or how can I say the regulatory or conditions about the full autonomous, right? So if we put the, our research deep into that, it's probably difficult to adopt new regulation conditions or other countries' architectures. I mean, making a market in aviation, I think this is very difficult. So what we do is a autonomous flight, but it's a basic functions on it, which produces the best flight path or control systems or location about the landing or taking off. So not much deep entry into it, just making a list of functions on it. Okay. And, and and so the, the the kind of the vision of this would be eventually someone would use a Tetra Aviation machine by just entering their their destination, and the aircraft would just get there, take off, get there, land on its own. Yeah, when you want, just come the devices here and the ride on it, and leave it there, and just fly back to the next destination. That's like a a really awesome vision but but it seems like there's some really big 
technical and software challenges that have to be overcome before we get there. Mm-hmm. What is the time frame? How 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 many years away are we from from that vision becoming reality? Oh, uh, I think it's partially in the next five years. There's happening. I think partial autonomous flight was started in five, next five years. I think, but the full autonomous full flight in the common market probably takes more than ten years because uh, the, even the technology allows to produce those flights, but people cannot accept that services uh, uh, flying above your head. So the market growth is not only for our users, but also that the environment is important to That's true. There's a whole regulatory framework, um, a whole lot of different laws and regulations surrounding this where, you know, pilots have a lot of restrictions about where and when they can fly. And are governments debating this now? Are they, are they thinking about how they could open up corridors, areas of the, the city or the country to allow these kind of autonomous flights? Some experimental places allows to fly autonomously in the United States. I think there's some, I don't, I don't know, but there's some Air Force have those uh, airspace. And the Chinese government has also that allows to fly for autonomous flight, I think. And some country, other countries allows to uh, full autonomous flight for, for a restricted area. A few Japanese companies has uh, done autonomous flight uh, for a very restricted area. So the gradually many countries are allows those experiment in a very restricted area, but the, it's, it depends on the market or the cultures of their of those countries. Well, actually, let's talk about the the business model itself. So, the technology is is incredibly interesting and endlessly fascinating, and and I think the fact that there are big problems to solve make it that much more interesting. But in terms of the business model, what is the the use case? What is the 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 killer app for? personal aviation of, of this kind? Is it, is it commuting? Is it, you know, I mean, the, the, as you said before, the experimental aircraft market is not, it's not really a market. It's a handful of passionate pilots. So how, who will be, how will this be used in widespread use? Uh, we are focusing on the very busy businessmen who are sometimes using private jet and the, uh, for those people's uh, we building so uh, very busy businessmen for uh, meet people actual places. That's a very uh, common market that the most part today taxi cabs uh, are participated in, but the, sometimes there's need to get those times more shortened. So we focusing on that those businessmen will use our product to. So it would replace things like the helicopter taxis between airports or short travel private jets, this kind of thing? Well, I think that there's no replacement for this business because the helicopter can carry lots of people. Then the private jets also carrying more than four passengers, I think. So that a company with lots of people, aviation industries, is a helicopter and a private jet will help those people. But the, our product is more distributed personal use cases. 
of single man. Okay. So there's no replacement, but just we are just creating a new market to connect the traditional transportation network to next transportation network. Okay. So what is Tetra Aviation's exit strategy? Is this like 10 years from now? Are you planning on going into mass production and producing thousands, tens of thousands of these personal aircraft? Are you planning on licensing it to established aerospace companies? Are you planning on getting acquired by a established aerospace company? How do you see things playing out for for Tetra Aviation? We want to become a manufacturer who is responsible for our personal eVTOL market. And we, well, hopefully we just simply get IPO to the market. Yes, we wanted to produce 2000 aircrafts a year in 2030s. I think this is much more larger than the traditional helicopter market. So we're focusing on those mass production in 2030 to produce uh, transportation services as well. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this before, but since the path to to profitability, the path to scale is 10, 15 years for a company like Tetra, it makes it very challenging to raise money. Most VCs aren't interested in investing in a company with that time frame. Have you had challenges raising money because of that time frame? Yes, because we have long development. So the most VCs has a time period for 10 years or five years. So they're willing to get more shorter capital gain. So not similar for a, uh, another software company. Our company has to take a longer time to get the capital gain for uh, the VCs. Yeah, if, you, if your business plan is longer than the, the life of their fund, that makes it harder for them to invest. Yes. So that we have to find some visionary partner that allows us to develop longer range of the development. And, and where have you been finding those? I, I noticed you have won awards and innovation competitions with uh, Boeing and Pratt and & Whitney. So what kind of organizations share that long-term vision and have, and have been investing? Uh, for example, the car manufacturer or a, a aircraft manufacturer has the long-term investment because they have already their businesses. Well, they want to develop their business with the investment of the company like ours. And though they didn't care about the money back in 10 years, but they focusing on the next 30 years or uh, yeah, more than 30 years. I guess that makes sense too, because... Uh... Those kind of organizations would have the ability to evaluate a highly technical product like your prototype, where most VCs, well, most people would not be able to to, to make a judgment about whether it's it's viable in 10 years or not. That's right. And the, probably some part of our technology will help their businesses in the researching or development process. So from that aspect, it is also that helps get willing to make an investment. Okay. Hey, well, listen, Taskut, before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. If I gave you a magic wand and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, the education system, the way people think about risk, 
their attitude towards innovation, anything at all to make things better for startups and innovation in Japan, what would you change? Oh, that's a very difficult question, but the... Well, I think I want to make change the people mind that the money is evil. People in Japan think that the money or investment or something earn a new technology or getting uh, well is uh, some aspect they think is evil. Really? Like, like I believe that that mindset will change, that the investment is more common and uh, there's not a loss of technology. And the people are willing to make new things in Japan. There's visionary persons a lot in Japan. So, so do you think people have been, been like skeptical of successful in investors? or Because certainly business in general has a very positive attitude in Japan. There's lots and lots of family businesses and restaurants, and, and that has a very positive attitude. It's a bit different from... Uh, yes, they are uh, positive about that, I think. But uh, I think that uh, they think working is a good, but uh, success or earn is probably a bit evil aspect, I think. So because oh. they work hard, they earn money. There's some excuses to have earned success. So you're saying that that some people look at, say, like uh, venture capitalists and investors and say, well, they, they didn't really work that hard. They don't deserve that much money. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's the working hard. It's a good part of the Japan culture. But not Nothing serious about the working, just... Enjoy uh, your vision and uh, get involved with other people and make new business and earn money is important thinking way. I think that's very common in other countries. For example, in the United States, this is a very important thinking about that. But no, I, th- I think that it is, it is really interesting, like just in the last 10 years or so, there's been a lot of very successful relatively young startup founders, people in their late 20s or early 30s who made, you know, millions of dollars with a successful startup. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I do think that that's a new thing in Japan. And, and I guess a lot of people are kind of trying to figure out like how how that fits in. Yes, your example is right, I think. Even the very young, talented, there's always some training time is necessary to get involved to common business market but uh, uh, I, I don't I don't want to say that, that the money is the uh, only things that you're gonna start the business but I don't want to say the money is always good but the, I, I suggest that it's not evil but you should use or think or a better way to think about the money do you think it's changing do you think do you think Japanese attitudes are improving and being more flexible in their attitude towards that money now? Or do you think it's going the other way and people are getting more conservative about that? The culture will gradually changing, I think. So, whoa, there's no need to magic wand anymore. But uh, <laughs> uh, yes, people are thinking about some things makes uh, more easier or something makes things better with the technology and without the training. So making new technology or helps with those technology is good things. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and as we see more and more successful, helpful technology brought forth by startups, mm. the more people will start thinking that way and seeing it as a good thing. 
Yes, and also that there's uh, ecosystems gradually growing in Japanese market. So people who want to help other people, there's uh, investors that uh, gives money, and you can uh, help other people with your technology or with your visions. So there's lots of opportunity and chances growing in Japanese market. Yeah, I, I think it's incredible to watch right now. There's just so much amazing things going on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hey, well, listen, Tosca, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. I really appreciate it. That's my pleasure. Thank you. It's great. And we're back. All successful founders are a mix of the impractical visionary and the efficient pragmatist. There's no perfect mix. It's, it's just a matter of style. The visionaries usually fail, but they're also the ones who change the world when they do succeed, while the pragmatists make more money on average by launching another B2B SaaS company or an Uber for X startup. Tosku and the team at Tetra definitely lean towards the visionary, as have the founders of personal aircraft startups since at least the 1950s. I mean, I remember as a visionary junior high school student reading Popular Science magazine and, and being enthralled by the ads for the personal helicopter kit that you could assemble yourself, the Scorpion II. Of course, my mother, pragmatist that she was, made it perfectly clear that I would not be ordering one, even if I did somehow manage to save up the money. The visionary in me still dreams of a world full of private aircraft, but the pragmatist is getting less and less sure about that. I mean, seriously, hundreds of people landing aircraft with four downward-facing propellers on busy streets, well, it raises certain safety concerns. As a society, we've given up on the idea of the jetpack, but the dream of the flying car is stubbornly persistent, and someday we might just get them. In fact, Tetra is just one of several Japanese electric VTOL aircraft startups, and much like Tetra, they are all finding a short-term business model evasive. There's no question that there's amazing technology being developed here. And so it, it's no surprise that many large aerospace companies are investing in these startups. There's something very important going on right now. But the visionaries are going to have to spend a little more time with the pragmatists to bring it to market. If you want to talk more about flying cars, and I mean... Come on. I know you do. Tasku and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 172 and let's talk about it. If you leave a comment, I guarantee Tasku or I or maybe both will respond. And hey, if you get the chance, check us out on LinkedIn or Facebook. But, but even better, if you like the show, tell people about it. Disrupting Japan is my labor of love, it's free forever, and we have no advertising budget. 
People hear about the podcast because listeners like you enjoy it, and they tell their friends about it. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups and innovation know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.